podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, February 2nd, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like BBC iPlayer. If you're an English expat living abroad and want to access your BBC iPlayer, your ITV hub, whatever it is, more for maybe, a Liberty Shield VPN can get that job done for you and keep all your data safe, which is obviously the most important thing in this day and age. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code router50 at checkout to get your Liberty Shield router half price. Router50 half price router at libertyshield.com. The number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is a quiet Wednesday. Uh, Not a whole lot is happening. The AFCON semifinals start tonight, and those games will be played tonight and tomorrow. And if you've been paying attention, you will know that Burkina Faso will take on Senegal tonight, followed by Cameroon versus Egypt tomorrow night. So we could well be on course for a Mane versus Salah final. But Cameroon are the host nation and they'll be confident that in front of their own fans, they will be over able to overcome an Egypt team that, to be fair, outside of Salah, is distinctly average. Distinctly average. At home, you might need to give Cameroon the advantage in that one. Egypt... Still trying to live up to the past. I mean, they had that golden generation that won the AFCON in 06, 08, and 2010. That's seen as obviously the greatest Egyptian team of all time. Strangely, never made a World Cup. And those who followed them have really struggled to live up to that sort of expectation. Now, this current Egypt team obviously did make the World Cup in 2018 but those those world cup plans were severely hampered by the injury that salah suffered in the champions league final which left him very limited for the world cup itself tonight's game senegal versus burkina faso senegal were the runners up in 2019 were favorites going into the final against algeria conceded that early goal 
and just could not find a way to get an equaliser and get back into the game. They will feel that they're on a mission to right or wrong. Senegal have never won the AFCON. They've been to the final twice back in 2002. They lost to a star-studded Cameroon team. And then obviously 2019. Uh, and they will face Burkina Faso, who over the last couple of competitions have really shown they can hang with the top teams. Um, I think they were runners-up once and third place once in the previous three competitions or four competitions maybe. I think previous four competitions. So they've shown they can do it. Uh, they're a team that are about the team. They don't really have star players. Excuse me, star players. They have Bertrand Traore, who's probably the best-known player in their team, uh, just because of the profile, the career he's had, where he's been, Chelsea, Leon, now Aston Villa. The best player in that team by, I would say, a considerable margin. And I don't really think it's all that close. Now, maybe some people would agree with me, but I don't think it's all that close to say that when you look at this Burkina Faso team, comfortably the best player lines up for them at centre-back in Edmund Tapsopa. I think he is absolutely outstanding. I think he's one of the best young central defenders in the world. He turns 23 today and he will be out for a birthday present. He will be out looking to, to get the victory and send his team on to the final. They lost to Cameroon in their first game, bounced back by beating Cape Verde, getting a draw with Ethiopia to go through in second place in the group, or maybe third, pla third place in the group, maybe. Could have been second. It was second or third in the group. Either way, I think it was, it was, it was second place. Cape Verde came through third. Uh, they beat Gabon on penalties in the round of 16, and they beat Tunisia last time out in what was seen as something of a surprise. Senegal have gotten better as the competition went on. They weren't impressive in the groups at all, really. Uh, they beat Zimbabwe with like a 97th minute penalty by Mane. Nil-nil draws against Guinea and Malawi sent them through top of the group at five points. But then they beat Cape Verde 2-0. Then they beat Equatorial Guinea 3-1. They've got Ishmael Asar back which is obviously big. He's a quality player. Takes a lot of the pressure off Mane now as well. So this should be good. This should be good. And um, what we know is that both of these teams, win or lose, have two games, you know, will we'll play again. They'll either play in the final or the third and fourth place playoff. So even defeat today doesn't end their competition. Uh, and the same will be true of Cameroon and Egypt tomorrow. So that's the AFCON. Um, I mentioned Gabon there. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been confirmed as the latest signing of FC Barcelona. He has signed a contract until June of 2023, which includes an option to agree a departure. Sorry, a contract until June of 2025 which includes an option to agree a departure in June of 2023. So 
initially when this was announced, it was basically a deal till the end of this season in which he would continue to earn similar to what he was earning at Arsenal with Arsenal kicking in a large sum. Then from next season, it would be a one-year deal on a much lower fee at Barcelona. But it appears like there's an extra two years tacked on there if things go well. So for Aubameyang, it's a pretty decent deal. For Barca, we'll wait and see what Aubameyang they get. If they get motivated, focused Aubameyang, it could be really, really impressive to get him on a free. Uh, the, the contract includes a buyout clause of 100 million euros. The man is 32 years of age. Nobody is buying him at this point. Nobody. He'll be 33 in the summer. No one is going to buy him. So that buyout clause is just for posturing sake. Mason Greenwood has been released on bail after being arrested on suspicion of raping and assaulting a woman. He was so he was arrested on Sunday. He was then further arrested yesterday. I'm not sure what further arrested means. I think it's when they extend your period in custody uh, with new charges. So this was uh, sexual assault and making threats to kill. Manchester United have obviously said he will not return to training or matches until further notice. And um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. It really does not look good for him, though. It also does not look good for Wraith Rovers. Uh, Val McDermott, who's obviously a very well-known author, has withdrawn her support and sponsorship of Wraith Rovers Football Club after it signed David Goodwillie. The striker who was ruled to be a rapist and ordered to pay damages in a civil case in 2017 was brought to the club from, I think, Clyde. Yeah, um, really not a good look for, for Wraith Rovers here. McDermott's statement said the thought of the rapist David Goodwillie running out on the pitch at Starks Park in a Wraith Rovers shirt with my name on it makes me physically sick. She added she had ended her lifelong support of the club and cancelled next season's shirt sponsorship over this disgusting and despicable move. I'll be tearing up my season ticket too. I mean, way to go about alienating your fan base. The captain of the club's women's team, Taylor Rattray, has also said she quit the team in protest. After 10 long years playing for Wraith, it's gutting that I've given, up, given it up now. Because they have signed someone like this and I want nothing to do with it. Absolutely shameful. Uh, Bill Clark, one of the directors of the club, has resigned in protest. And the worst part about this was the statement they released. Where they said, first and foremost, this is a football-related decision. Yes, it shouldn't be a football-related decision. It really should not be a football-related decision. A civil court found that on the balance of probability, David Goodwillie is a rapist and ordered him to pay 
I believe it was like a hundred grand in compensation to his victim when he and another man took advantage of her. I don't care what he did at Clyde. I remember Clyde signing him and I remember a big backlash there. Apparently it all went away and he went and scored a bunch of goals. Clyde said while signing him, people should be allowed to rebuild their lives after a mistake. Raping someone is not a mistake. You didn't do it by accident. David Goodwillie is a scumbag. And you don't just need to look at this one incident as to why he's a scumbag. Go and look at the other court cases brought against him for multiple assaults. David Goodwillie is a scumbag. He's not somebody you should want having anything to do with your club. Wraith manager John McLean told BBC Radio's Sports Sound, the club have made a statement, and that's as far as I'm going to talk about it. David has arrived at a tight hamstring, and if he was to play and give it 100%, he'd most likely make it worse. Who cares? I'm just focusing on the game, and that's all I can do as a football manager. That tells me that John McGlynn is the driving force behind this deal. And shame on him. Shame on him. Three and a half years at that club. And he doesn't know that that is a club that has rebuilt itself and reimagined itself as a real community club, a real asset to the local people. And you're signing a, ra a rapist and alienating a director, your biggest sponsor, your most well-known fan, and the captain of your women's team. Like, I'm not being funny. But surely some morality needs to come into this. How anyone could let him play again. In the same way with Greenwood, if he's found guilty in a court of law, career over as far as I'm concerned. Career over. I don't care about this nonsense of letting him rebuild after... A mistake, quote-unquote. Nonsense. He's never, ever expressed any remorse. He's never apologised. The guy is a scumbag. Staying in Scotland, Aaron Ramsey has obviously signed for Rangers. And uh, it's been seen as quite the coup. I I'm not really sure I can get on board with that. I really am not sure I can get on board with that. Uh, this is a guy who has flopped quite spectacularly in Syria. He is one of the worst signings in the history of Syria. £400,000 a week. Now, €400,000 a week, sorry, that's it's euro, not pounds. Rangers won't be paying anywhere close to that, obviously. And I think the burden of the tax side also falls on Juventus. But I just... Look, for Wales, he's been really good. For Wales, he's a big game player. And he does show up when needed. But at club level, he he's very much a streaky player who has... 
he had a couple of he had one great season for Arsenal. One like absolutely brilliant season where he just had a real hot streak. But aside from that, I mean, there's nothing overly impressive. 13-14 was that season. In the Premier League, he got 10 goals in 23 games. He was decent in 17-18. Aside from that, he's been very, very average. For a goal-scoring midfielder who doesn't offer a whole lot of anything else, like, he's not good defensively. He's not a particularly creative player. He's a runner from midfield who gets goals. He's a bargain bin version of Frank Lampard. And for a goal-scoring midfielder, 73 goals in 472 career games isn't exactly great. I never understood Juventus signing him. He clearly wasn't on the, on the level of player that they needed. But, you know, Paratici is a moron who did an appalling job while running Juventus. And you can see the aftermath of it. But look, I... I I'd like to see Ramsey get his career back on track and, you know, just not up there. Uh, but moving across Glasgow, Matt O'Reilly, the young midfielder that Celtic have signed from MK Dons, has made a really impressive start to his time north of the border. Two games, 12 chances created, 19 touches in the box, 23 crosses, one possession 15 times and a passing accuracy of 88%. A lot of people were hyping up Rangers' window because they got Ahmed Diallo and Ramsey. I, I think Celtic had a much better window. Um, the, the three boys from Japan, Maeda and Hatete look the business straight away, and so does O'Reilly. Um, Itaguchi is, you know, is the next one. We'll see what he does. But I really think O'Reilly is going to be a star at Celtic, and I think he'll be back south of the border quite soon. He is a real high-end caliber player. Lovely, lovely talent. Um, BBC have put together a piece about some of the transfer business. It's worth a read if you want to look. Takes a look at Everton a look at Newcastle, a look at Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham. West Ham, the piece is basically what I suggest today, a missed opportunity. I think it's the same about Arsenal, missed opportunity. Uh, Ericsson being the feel-good factor of the window, I think is obviously a big talking point. If he's 80% of what he was, he'll be a very good player for Brentford. Um, I saw, saw a video on Twitter today, and I I didn't know that this was a nickname for them, and maybe it's not. Maybe this is somebody just made something somebody just made up, but it referred to the Spurs front four from a few years ago as desk, Delhi, Erickson, Son, and Kane. Was that a real thing? Did I miss that, or is that just something somebody made up? Uh, whatever it was, that was a really entertaining front four, whose skills all blended really well together. You had the creator in Ericsson. You had the speed, the width offered by Son, who could also get you goals. You had Delhi making those runs into the box, and obviously in Harry Kane, you had a complete number nine. 
worth giving that piece on the BBC a quick read when you get a chance. It's by Phil McNulty. So do check that one out. There's not a whole lot today. So I'm going to take a break. When we come back, what I wanted to do, and this may be crap, but I thought it'd be interesting. Uh, this idea came to me from, I can't remember. Somebody gave me this idea over the weekend and I thought I'd look into it. Let me go to a break. When we come back, what I want to do is take, oh, Alex Mansfield. That's who it was, Alex Mansfield. Take a look at one Premier League era flop from every club that could fit at the club now under the current manager. So somebody largely signed by a previous manager who could be a success under the current manager and how they play. So we'll be back in two minutes. Right, welcome back. So, yes, Alex Mansfield gave me this idea the other day of players who were signed by another manager at a club, didn't work out, but perhaps under the current manager would be a better fit. So I thought I'd do one for every Premier League club because what else am I going to talk about on a Wednesday after the transfer window closes in an FA Cup week? So this, this is what we have. Right, let's start. I'm just going to go A through W. I'm going to do it alphabetically. So we'll start with Arsenal. And the one player that came to mind was Francis Jeffers. Because what do Arsenal need? They need a poacher in the box. They need someone with movement, a bit of pace, and good finishing. And Francis Jeffers has all three of those things. Now, technically, he's a little, he was a little bit limited. But happy birthday to Francis Jeffers, actually. Turned 41 there last week. So hope he's doing well. I believe he's coaching at Ipswich. Maybe he's left. I don't know. Anyway, Francis Jeffers broke through at Everton at 16-17 and had an immediate impact. And was that penalty box poacher who you never wanted having more than two touches? Control and shoot, control and shoot, or just shoot. Don't try and dribble. Don't try and do anything else. Control and shoot. When we look at this Arsenal team with Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, there's a lot of creativity there. Even, like, Granit Xhaka, for all his flaws, is a good passer. Thomas Partey is a good passer. What Arsenal need is a poacher. And Jeffers didn't fit at Arsenal under Wenger for a couple of reasons. Number one, he didn't have the technical level to fit in with how Arsenal played. And number two, he was kind of immediately tagged as he's going to be a super sub. He's going to come off the bench when we need him and get goals. The problem with that is, first of all, he was 20 years of age. And... A player of that age shouldn't have the pressure of being expected to score every time you go on the pitch, which which was what happened to him at Arsenal. He was also never given enough opportunities. 
He spent three years contracted to Arsenal and he played 39 games total. He scored eight goals, so one in five. I'd be curious, I don't have it to hand, I'd be curious to see what his record was in terms of minutes played at Arsenal. Now, his career did not pan out at all. Uh, he ended up playing 292 games, only scoring 52 goals, and became very much a journeyman. He went from Arsenal back on loan to Everton. It didn't work. He was sold to Charlton, went on loan to Rangers, Blackburn, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and then played for Newcastle Jets in the A-League, Motherwell, back to Newcastle Jets, Floriana in the Maltese Premier League and finished his career with Accrington Stanley. I'm not talking about what he became. I'm talking about the player that Arsenal bought, that 20-year-old kid who really was exciting to watch. He had a really good burst of pace across 10 yards. He would find pockets of space in the box, and he was very, very instinctive. And I feel like that's the type of player who would actually do really well in this Arsenal team right now. Just someone to get on the end of chances. Not someone who's going to be asked to do too much in terms of the build-up play. But just get yourself in the box and find a little bit of space. The ball will find you. There's enough playmaking there that the ball will find you. I think Francis, I'm not saying he'd be a star. I'm not saying he'd do brilliantly or score 25 a season. But I think in this Arsenal team, I think he'd do a lot better than what he did in that Arsenal team under Wenger. Because remember, that's arguably the greatest Arsenal team ever. So, you know, the level was exceptionally high. Um, for Aston Villa, I think David Unsworth. Now, he was only at the club for about a month. And he didn't settle at all, apparently, in Birmingham. It seemed like he used Villa as a way to get from West Ham back to Everton. He'd started his career at Everton. He went to West Ham. It didn't go all that well. But he has to go down as a flop for obvious reasons. Now, look, Everton paid Villa the same three million that Villa had paid West Ham. So Villa didn't lose anything. But what they thought they were doing was buying a good centre-back in his prime, 25 years of age, about to become one of the better defenders in the league. And it obviously didn't work out. I don't ever believe the story about he couldn't settle in Birmingham. Personally, I just think that's nonsense. I think Everton tapped him up and he pushed his way out. And his love of Everton overcame everything else. But if you gave this Aston Villa team right now, with Steven Gerrard in charge, a 25-year-old David Unsworth, a ball-playing left-footed centre-back who does not make huge volumes of errors. So basically the anti-Tyrone Mings. I think he would be ideal next to Ezri Konza. Now maybe he wouldn't be quick enough to play a high line, but he was he was decent at covering ground. He wasn't quick, but he certainly wasn't slow. Really good passer, could carry the ball out from the back. David Unsworth is one of the more underrated defenders of the last 30 years. Unsworth was very, very good for a long time 
And it's often overrated because he played in some very average West, uh, sorry, Everton teams. Um, Brentford was hard because obviously they've not really been a Premier League team uh, all that long. But I, I feel like if they got Josh McEachern in now at 22 into their midfield, I think he'd be a lot more effective than he was when they signed him in 2015. They were in a much better place. There's a better team, better midfield there. And McEachern, if people remember, when he was at Chelsea, was very, very highly rated. People were saying this kid was going to be the future of the England team. And he had a bunch of disappointing loans. The one to Middlesbrough went well. But he never made made the breakthrough really at Chelsea. I think he played like 20 games to them, 22 games for Chelsea overall. Loans to Swansea, Middlesbrough, Watford, Wigan and Vitas Arnhem. And then they sold him on to Brentford. And, and this has happened a bunch of times with young players at Chelsea where they're very highly regarded at an early age. But later on, it just sort of falls off. Now, his brother, George, is also very, very highly rated. He's currently at Chelsea, and I worry that his career may go the same. He's now 21, hasn't played a minute for Chelsea's first team, had a couple of loans. I'm not sure what's going on with him this season, um, but he just seems to have disappeared off the face of the planet. But, yeah. He is a Josh McEachern was a really, really talented player who I think if Brentford got that level of talent at that age now, they'd make something far more of it. It was hard to pick someone for Brentford. Brighton, this guy actually played under Graham Potter because he only left last summer. But I do wonder if Johan Bakesh had arrived under Potter, if he was Potter's choice. Would he have worked out better? Because the player I saw at AZ Alkmaar was outstanding. He led the Eredivisie in goals and assists one season and was just different class. That last season he was there, he was just different class. Brighton paid a lot of money to get him, but he arrived over under Chris Hewton, who clearly not a very good manager when it comes to developing attacking players. We've seen that time and again from Hewton. He's much more of a defensive-minded coach. And that first season, zero goals in 24 appearances, I think it killed his confidence. And by the time Potter took over, I just think Johan Bikesh had just had enough of his time at Brighton. And he had some good moments under Potter. That's the thing. He did play pretty well under Potter at times. But I just think if he'd gotten Potter off the back of that season at Alkmaar, full of confidence, I do think he would have been a much bigger, uh, made a much bigger impact at Brighton and been a success person. Personally, I could be wrong, but he's who I'd go with for Brighton. Now, this next one is Burnley, and this guy played under Sean Dyche because Dyche has been there so long, and well, they're not a Premier League club without Dyche. But I wonder if Dyche now was given Nathaniel Chalaba 
would he do a better job with him? Because we've seen what Chalaba has gone on to become. And at Watford, he was a very good midfielder. He's having a bit of a quieter season at Fulham this year. I think he's had some injuries. He's another one that came through at Chelsea, had you know six loans, and then was discarded despite the hype around him when he was a younger player. But he had a really bad time on loan with Burnley. And I wonder if Dyche got hold of him now. Because Dyche appears to be a little bit more open to to change. You know, he doesn't just want football by numbers. And I think Chalaba, maybe Chalaba a couple of years later. Like if Dyche got the Watford Chalaba, I think he would have loved him. That ball winning shield in midfield. I think he would have loved him. But yeah, Chalab is the one. You could say Ben Gibson. But would his attitude be any different if he went there now? Dyche is still there. The club is still the same. Like Burnley are a different prospect now than they were when Chalaba was there the first time. Or when, when, he was, when Chalaba was there. Um, I believe that was also a season that Burnley got relegated, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the season Burnley got relegated. So, I'll go Chalaba for them. Um, Chelsea. Under Thomas Tuchel. I really do think Shevchenko would be a success. I really do think Shevchenko would be a success. Now, the problem is, when Chelsea signed him, he was 30. But he was the best striker in the world at the time. And he was coming off another great season for AC Milan. He'd scored 9 in 12 in the Champions League. 28 and 40 in all competitions. He'd established himself as the best striker in the world. And when he joined Chelsea, Mourinho played 4-3-3. And Drogba was the 9. So he got stuck playing right wing. He was never going to be a success playing in that role. I think Tuchel would use him in a front two with Lukaku, and I think it would work. I think Shevchenko was always better in a two. And him and Crespo were great together. I think Shevchenko and Lukaku works. I also think it gets more out of Lukaku, because think about what Lukaku was great at last season when partnered with Laturo. Think about when he was at Manchester United and he played in the front two at times with either Martial or Rashford and it always worked quite well and then Mourinho would go back to playing one up front. I think Shevchenko under Tuchel because we've seen Tuchel before at PSG and at Bayern Munich, at Borussia Dortmund rather, do great work with attackers. Like look at Mkhitaryan, look at Aubameyang, Look at Royce, uh, look at Kagawa. He got great, great performance out of all of them. I think I think Shevchenko would be unbelievably good, even at 30 coming into this Chelsea team. Um, for Crystal Palace, I'll go Patrick Bamford. Yet another Chelsea youngster who had... Well, he had seven loans, including one at Burnley that was also a flop. And I did consider him for Burnley. But with him at Burnley, it was a personality thing. With him and Dyche, didn't just click at all. But he had a bad loan at Crystal Palace. Off the back of a great loan at Middlesbrough, 
he got his break in the Premier League with Palace and it just didn't work. But that was under a gammon and gravy regime. You're talking about a season in which Alan Pardew was the manager. I think under Vieira, and look what Vieira has done with Benteke, look what he's done with Mateta, the confidence he's put back into those players. Also factor in how good Bamford's all-round game is, how good his hold-up game is, not just his goal-scoring, and the fact that with Zaha, with Eze, and with Olise, he'd be getting so much more service, and there'd be so much more pace and movement around him. I think Bamford would be a success at... Crystal Palace if he came in now especially that age of Bamford because he'd fit in with the age profile Everton's a tough one there's been a lot of flops I mean a lot of flops over the years but one that's always stood out to me now look his his off-field issues the stuff he was going through in his personal life maybe maybe would scupper this anyway but Andy van der Maeda, I think, would be coming in at 26 years of age. I think Lampard, for all the flaws Lampard has, the one thing I will give him is he did a really good job at developing Mason Mount. And I think he could do a similar job with van der Maeda. Now, an older player than Mount was when Lampard got hold of him. But I do think, like, we're going to see him try and do it with Donny van der Beek and Deli Ali. As much as I like Deli, Andy van der Meda had levels more talent than him. When van der Meda came through at Ajax, it was you know, him, uh, Wes Schneider, Johnny Heitinger, Raphael van der Vaart, all of them came through in like a short period of time. And he was the most talented of the lot. As a young player, he was the most talented of the lot. And yet, had the worst career by quite a distance. Now, like I say, he was a little bit downtrodden by the time he got there. He'd fallen out with the national team. His spell with Inter Milan had not gone well. But, yeah, that, that was a really talented player who I think could have done a lot more. And for him to have basically you know, been retired by the time he was what, 28 or whatever it was, um, it is, is tough. He played, so he was born in 79, September, so he was 27. He was 27 at the end of the 06-07 season. He turned 28 later that year. After his 28th birthday, he played nine games. Nine games. Three for Everton, having missed an entire season. And then he played three games in 08-09. And then he went... To a club called, well, he went to PSV Eindhoven, never played, left the game, came back a year later, joined a team called WKE, who play in the top class. It's the fourth division in the Netherlands, and he played six games. That's really, really sad. He had so much talent. But yeah, I'll go Andy van der Meijer for Everton. For Leeds, Thomas Brolin. Now, one of Brolin's issues, obviously, was uh, an enjoyment of well, burgers and hot dogs and things like that, pasta. Um, but 
there's no doubting his talent. I mean, that was an immensely talented young man who was part of a spectacular team at Parma. And if you remember that Parma team, they were just so much fun. Him, Aspria, Zola, they were just, they were so much fun. You couldn't but love that Parma team. He was brilliant at the Euros in 92 for that Swedish team that were a lot of fun, scored the goal of the tournament. He was one of the best young players or the most highly rated young players in Europe at that point. He was really good for Parma then from you know that point on. Leeds bought him in 95 and it was clear he didn't want the move. You know, it was really clear he did not want to join Leeds United. He wanted to stay where he was. He didn't want anything to do with moving to England. But he joined Leeds and it was a complete disaster. He played 20 games in his one season there. Then he was loaned to FC Zurich. It was a disaster there. Then he was loaned back to Parma. That didn't work. Then he joined Crystal Palace. And by 1998, at the age of 29, he was playing in the fourth division in Sweden. So again, similar to van der Meide, all the talent, off-field stuff, whatever else was going on. A shame. A big, big shame. But I think under Bielsa, if he's motivated... If he's coached with an iron fist, which is, I think, what he needed, which is what Bielsa will use, I think it is like he was so good. And I'd love to see him play in this Leeds team at the point he was when he was at Parma joining Leeds as one of the two attacking midfielders in that 4 1 4 1. So you say you have Rafinha. I'd like to see something like Rafinha. Him, Glish, Harrison, Bamford up front, obviously, and Phillips behind in that holding role. I think from there, as an eight, he just he give you so much. Such a creative player. He could do a similar job to what um, Hernandez used to do there. I, I think he'd be brilliant. Leicester City, again, there's quite a few, but finding one that fits under Brendan Rodgers is difficult. So I've gone Tim Flowers. Now, he was 32 when Leicester signed him from Blackburn. Uh, So maybe he'd already started to decline. But my memory of it is that he was still quite a good goalkeeper. And Blackburn had been relegated. But that wasn't on him. That was on the fact that they'd become a mess. I thought he should have done much, much better. Tim Flowers is a very good goalkeeper. And I think in the modern day at Leicester, he would be a success because he was good with his feet. He could play a higher line. And when you see what Casper is doing there at, what age is Casper? 34? Casper's 35. There's no doubt in my mind you give a 32-year-old Tim Flowers to this team. He's number one a better keeper than Casper Schmeichel. 
And I think he has more success there than he did the first time around when he ended up out on loan a couple of times. Um, right, we'll move on then to the next lot. And the first one up is Liverpool. Lazar Markovic is the obvious answer here. Klopp did have him for a little while, but didn't show much interest in um, in playing him. But by the time Klopp got hold of him, Lazar Markovic was a shell of himself. The player Liverpool bought from Benfica was a really special talent. He'd had a sensational season at Benfica when they won the treble. He was absolutely electric. His pace, his control, his dribbling ability. So, so talented. And Brendan Rodgers thought he was a wing-back. Brendan Rodgers thought he was a wing-back. And whenever he did play well, Rodgers would drop him the following week. Whenever the team didn't play well, Rodgers would make him the scapegoat. Liverpool played Aston Villa in an FA Cup semi-final that year. And Rodgers took him off, I think at half-time. And he was actually playing quite well. Um, He was playing really well at one point. And he came on as a sub. I, I think he came on as a sub against Baal and got sent off like a couple of minutes later for... I don't know what he actually did. The fellow went down like he'd been shot, but I don't think he made any real contact with him. Um, and he was given a four-game ban for it. It was absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, Lazar Markovic <laughs> assaulted the air in front of somebody. That is basically what he did. He moved the air around in front of someone's face and got a four-game ban. He went on loan to Fenerbahce. He did really well there. He went on loan to Sporting. He did really well there. He went on loan to Hull. He did really well there, but there was always just something missing. And since then, it just hasn't been great. Um, Now, he did have, I stand corrected, he did have a cracker of a season last year, by the looks of things, banging in 12 goals for Partizan. He's still only 27. So maybe he's got a second act in him, but... He was so talented. So, so talented. And he's shown an ability to score goals. Like, at 18, he got... Sorry, 17, 18, he got six... Sorry, seven and 33. The following year, seven and 31. And the following year, seven and 49. That brought him to the age of 20. He'd shown he could score goals. There was definitely a path for him to develop into a really good player with his just natural ability, his pace, but he lacked self-confidence and he needed a manager that would put his arm around him. For whatever reason, Klopp never gave him an opportunity, but Lazar Markovic was a talented player who could have been very, very good under Jurgen Klopp. If he arrived now into this Liverpool team, Lazar Markovic would become a star. Manchester City, it's Steven Jovetic. It has to be Steven Jovetic for City. He would be ideal as the false nine in this current Man City team. Now, I'm talking about that Jovetic that was bought in 2013. Uh, He was coming off a couple of injuries, but he was so, so good. And I think that player... As the as the number nine in this city team, with his movement, his intelligence, he'd be the one. Play him as the nine, Sterling and Foden either side, and then you've got 
KDB and Bernardo or KDB and Gundogan or Bernardo and Gundogan as the eights with Rodri holding. And that City carousel works to an absolute T because Jovetic could play anywhere in those five roles and excel. So Stefan Jovetic is the one for Manchester City. For United, I think Juan Sebastian Veron. I mean, what do they need? They need someone that can control a game in midfield. Ranić wants to play a box midfield. This guy excelled in the box midfield. Was absolutely sensational in a box midfield for Lazio. I think he'd be perfect. Juan Sebastian Veron. I, I still don't understand how it didn't work in England for him. Now, I can understand why it didn't work at United. Because Veron is a ball-dominant player. At United, you had Beckham, ball-dominant. Keane, ball-dominant. Scholes, ball-dominant. People will say, well, Keane wasn't a passer, but he was. Keane was kind of... Keane would pick the ball up off the centre-backs and move it into midfield. That was kind of Keane's role. But he was also very comfortable when United attacked. United always played with 4-4-2. But oftentimes it was sort of a 4-4-1-1, where there would be a nine and a second striker type. And Skulls would join the attack. Beckham and Giggs would push right up. And it would basically be a front five, Keane, and then the back four. And Keane would recycle the ball. That's the role Veron wanted. But with Keane there, it didn't really exist. Obviously, Scholes had been partnering Keane before that. But the plan was to move Scholes into that second striker role. But what that, that was then asking for was, in attack, Veron would take up Scholes' old role of making runs into the box, which wasn't what he was good at. But Juan Sebastian Veron for Sampdoria for Parma and for Lazio, remains to this day one of the best midfielders I've ever seen. And even when he went back to Inter, he was great. When he went back to Argentina with Estudiantes, he was incredible. He won uh, Copa Libertadores with them. One of the best midfielders I've ever seen. And I'll never, ever understand how it didn't work in England for him. I can understand why it didn't work under Mourinho because Mourinho's system didn't allow for a player like him. But the season under Ranieri should have been a lot better. Um, Breaking news. West Bromwich Albion have sacked their manager. Valerian Ishmael has left his position as head coach. Big news coming from the Baggies. Obviously, it hasn't gone brilliantly, but they are fifth in the league. Fifth. Now, you can say Huddersfield are seventh, have the same points. Fair enough. They have lost three of their last five, and results haven't been going brilliantly of late, but they're fifth in the championship. So it does seem like a bizarre one. Um, Now, actually, to be fair, when you look at... They've only won three 
of their last 13, sorry, four of their last 13, is it? No, three of the last 13. That's not great. The great first 10 games has been a bit hit and miss since then, to be fair. And it's actually four of their last six they've lost, as well as going out of the FA Cup, so five of their last seven. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair, when, when I look at the results, they drew with Barnsley, who, let me just pull up the championship table. If I'm not mistaken, Barnsley are in the bottom three. Uh, Barnsley are bottom of the league. Barnsley are bottom of the league, despite the fact that Derby had um, 21 points taken off them. So that's obviously not a good result to draw with Barnsley. Uh, they lost to Derby, who are at the time were bottom of the league. They drew with Cardiff, who currently sit 20th. They lost to QPR, who are promotion rival. They did beat Peterborough, who are third from bottom. Uh, they lost at home to Preston, who are mid-table. And they lost at home to Millwall, also mid-table. In the FA Cup, they lost on extra, in extra time to Brighton. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair, that's six games. That's not good. It's not good. Three wins from, thir- from 14 in all competitions. Not particularly good either. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think maybe it is justified. Even at fifth. And maybe they get the Watford bounce. Like Watford last year sacked the manager when they were in the top six. Now, it was earlier in the season than this. I think it was like December, November maybe. They sacked Ivic, brought in Cisco, and, and found their way back into the Premier League. So maybe that's what West Brom do. I've seen Slavisa Jokanovic's name linked to the club. Obviously, he was sacked earlier this season by Sheffield United. How funny would it be? Guy Guy wants them to <laughs> Guy wants them to point Neil Warnock. What about Tony Pulisic? Tony Pulis. I only called him Tony Pulisic. Uh, he was there before and it went disastrously bad. So let's do that again. No, I think. I think Yukanovich is probably the guy. He's been mentioned in the last week or, or so as somebody they would look at. Um, they were really unfortunate and they brought in Daryl Dyke and then he got hurt straight away. Like straight away. Because I thought Dyke and Carlin Grant would be a really good front too. What a shame. And, and unfortunately, the manager is the one that pays the price for it. Because uh, he is now out of a job. So, look, he did really well at Barnsley. He had a good start here. I think he's an okay manager. But go and rebuild somewhere else. Maybe maybe take a bit of time off. Go and rebuild somewhere else. Uh, Let's move on past Varane, who I'm adamant would would be a success. Even under Ranić. Newcastle United. Hugo Viana. Playmaking central midfielder, who can also play as an attacking midfielder, brought in from Sporting at 19. A little bit too early for him to make the move. But I think under Eddie Howe, I think he'd be far better off than he was at Newcastle at that point. Even though the tune are not particularly good. But him 
and Bruno Gomes together would be some very very pretty football. So I'll go for him. Uh, Norwich, Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. Ricky Van Wolfswinkel, without a shadow of a doubt for me. He was scoring goals for fun at Sporting. And Norwich brought him in. He scored one goal in 27 games. But he was a much better player than that. He really was a much, much better player than that. And I think under Dean Smith, with the way they're playing at the minute, with Day and Sargent and Rashiska behind, I think Van, Van Wolfswinkel would get a lot more service and I think he'd do quite well. Southampton, I think the one thing they need, or the thing they need more than anything else, is someone in that middle line of two, a creative player, more of a natural playmaker. I think Gaston Ramirez. He'd be 22. He'd fit in with the age profile of a lot of the younger players. Him on the right of the the two advanced midfielders dropping out to right back when they lose possession. Interchanging with Ward-Prowse, who makes those overlapping runs, plus obviously Livramento coming from fullback. I think that would be a right-hand side. That would really work. So Gaston Ramirez. For Tottenham, I'm going to say Paulinho. Box-to-box midfielder, powerful player, ball winner, ball carrier. He's made to play for Conte. 25-year-old Paulinho coming over from Corinthians where he had established himself as the best midfield player in South America. I think Paulinho would be very, very good. Very, very good under Conte. You look at what Conte did with with Vidal. You look at what he did with Barella. Now, he's not as technically gifted as Barella, but that same sort of dynamic box-to-box player, I think Paulinho would be a success. Watford, Andre Gray. He's still owned by them, funnily enough. But Andre Gray under the Hodge, I think, would be... is, is what Hodgson wants in a nine. Someone physical who'll work the defenders, hold the ball up, link the play. Andre Gray, he's had a bad time at Watford, but I think under the Hodge, he would be fine. Uh, under the Moyes, the Moisiah, Mr. Moyes, Moisey, Moise, at West Ham, I think Javier Mascherano. Mascherano is one of the greatest defensive midfielders ever. And yes, you can say they have Rice, they have Suchek. You're telling me Mascherano's not better than both of them? As much as you might like Declan Rice, there's no way you're going to be deluded enough to think that he's better than Mascherano was. Just move Rice to centre-back. Let him be the ball player from there. He'll be a better version of Ben White. Put Mascherano into midfield with Suchek. He'll run all over everybody. It'll be brilliant. He'll basically be like a modern-day Kante. 22 years of age. Energy for days. Fearless. Yeah, Mascherano all day long. And for Wolves, again, it's a player they own. And maybe a player that Bruno Lage has looked at and thought, don't fancy him. But I kind of feel like Patrick Catrone 
who I'm not a massive fan of, but I kind of feel like he could offer something in that front line with the way Bruno Lage has them playing. So I will go for Patrick Catrone. Anywho, on to the gossip and we'll be out of here for the day. Manchester City will do all they can to convince Erling Haaland to sign for them in the summer, despite knowing his preference is a move to Real Madrid. Haaland, however, is said to not be in Real's plans right now, with them instead focusing on signing Mbappe. They want both. Like they, they can split their focus. They can do two things at once. They've got more than one person on the job. Um, this is great. Dusan Vlahovic says it was an easy decision to snub Arsenal for a move to glorious Juventus in the transfer window. Yeah, Arsenal just getting crapped on by everybody. Bruno Gomeric, his announcement video was basically mocking Arsenal for not signing him. Um, West Ham's Declan Rice, Sevilla's Jules Koundé, and Orlin Chouameni are among the shortlisted targets of Thomas Tuchel. Stay away from Chouameni or I will slap you in your ear, Mr. Tuchel. Rice has rejected two contract offers from West Ham and is also a target for Manchester City and Manchester United. I don't for a second believe he's a target for City. They have Rodri, who's better, and he doesn't fit anywhere else in their team. United, I think I can definitely see. And Chelsea, fair enough. You could you could see it there for sure. Uh, former England international Ashley Cole is set to join Frank Lampard's backroom staff, while the Goodison Park side are also prepared to bring in former midfielder Tim Cahill for a part-time role at the club. Um, Ashley Cole was a great defender. Not sure he's... What, what he'll be as a coach. Uh, I suppose it's just a matter of of waiting and seeing what he gets up to. He obviously worked at Chelsea under under uh, Lampard. He's been working with the England under-21s under Lee Carsley. Um, so look, yeah, it, may, it makes sense for him to go there. It really does. Uh, I have seen some Everton fans are just the most deluded people going, though, uh, claiming that Ashley Cole will only be the second best, second best left back on the coaching staff. Leighton Baines, on the best day of his life, could not lace Ashley Cole's boots, let alone play ahead of him. So, behave yourselves. Manchester United have asked players, including Paul Pogba, to delay a decision over the futures until they appoint a new manager. Pogba's contract will almost certainly be expired before United appoint a new manager. Uh, the Telegraph, I assume John Percy, had the news that Valerian Ishmael's future was in doubt, and it is no longer in doubt he has been sacked. Newcastle had a bid for Fabian Ruiz turned down, but the Magpies are expected to renew their interest this summer. Arsenal are also said to have shown interest. He'd be ideal for Arsenal. He doesn't really make sense now for Newcastle with Gamerish in the door. Eddie Howe will also go back for Sven Botman after missing out on him in the summer. Or in the in January, Liverpool are confident of completing a pre-agreement to sign Fabio Carvalho. West Ham failed in a deadline day bid to sign Dusan uh, Zabata, uh, Duvan Zabata on loan from Atalanta. Weird if Atalanta were even 
interested in allowing him to leave on loan. I know there was reports, but I just don't just don't really believe that he, they would. Barcelona president Joan Laporte says he believes Usman Dembele already has agreed to sign for a club as a free agent, which is his right, and nobody can say a thing about it. Uh, Barca are reportedly considering terminating Dembele's contract early. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. You'll have to pay him everything you owe him. So all you're doing is taking a player who could help you out of your rotation. Brian Hill said his family urged him to return to Spain with Valencia after just six months on loan at Tottenham. Sorry, after just six months at Tottenham. Um, former Germany manager Joachim Lowe has agreed to take charge of Fenerbahce with the 61-year-old boss to take the helm before the start of next season. Interesting. I don't know how true it is, but interesting. Newcastle United defender Jamal Lewis is said to have rejected potential deadline day moves to Stoke and Birmingham and is now set to be left out left out of the revised 25-man squad list. That is... He is better than Matt Target. And I will die on that hill. He, he is a better defender than Matt Target. He's also much quicker than Matt Target. Uh, I don't know what's gone on there, but clearly something has, has happened. Someone will get a bargain when they pick him up for literally nothing in the summer. I guarantee someone will get a bargain. And that is me for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Thank you all for listening. Unless you are Wraith Rovers. Shame on you. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.